I'm not impressed by your performance. My balls was hot. I understand. John Jones, get your together. I'm waiting for you. And it's all great. I need a minute to myself. You will never get to me. What can be done out to myself? What's going on, guys? Josh Prep Agina here, and welcome to. Your boy Elroy, the MMA edition. I am joined by my co-host. Introduce yourself, sir. What's up, everybody? My name's Andre Rodriguez. I am today's co-host for the new MMA edition. The Your Boy Elroy. Uh, we're just here, have a good time, talk about some MMA, and uh, hopefully have some fun. Yeah, so since this is the first time we do this, let's kind of give the audience a look into our heads and our, like, history. Let's give the audience, like, a history lesson on our MMA fandom, why we like it, uh, maybe our favorite fights and our favorite fighters. So why don't you go first? When When's your first memory of MMA? So first memory of MMA... I was in school, everybody was raving about this new sport, I didn't really know much about it, um, and then they were like, yeah, just go check it out on Spike TV, they usually have fights. Went to check it out, first fight I saw was Tim Cruder versus Nick Catone. Um, usually, to me, a fight was just two guys boxing, and whoever got knocked out, whoever got hit hardest, you know, that's the person who lost. But I saw kicks, I saw elbows, punches, I saw guys slamming on the ground, wrapping their legs around each other and I'm just like what the hell is going on so I did a little bit of studying and um, I started taking up martial arts myself first ones I did was kickboxing and jiu-jitsu and then I just fell in love with the sport I mean um, one of the my biggest fans I'm one of the biggest fans of uh, George St. Pierre you know Rush he's um he's kind of like the guy I always wanted to emulate my game after he's a mastermind in there um, it's not just about his kickboxing ability or his wrestling prowess, but more his, he has the game of strategy down to a T. He's like a, a surgeon in there. He studies fighters down to the bone, and he can just pick them apart, either using their own game against them or just going back to his wrestling. So, yeah, I mean, I've been a fan for ever since I can pretty much remember in school. Yeah. Okay. What's your favorite fight? That that you can name. I know you probably have a few. Yeah, I mean, first favorite fight of all time, I want to say was Carlos Condit versus George St. Pierre. I think uh, Carlos Condit posed a lot of problems for GSP. He was the lankier fighter. He did have a good ground game. Um, you know, he had holes in his game as far as his wrestling, but as far as submissions from the back and his ability to strike and finish and no matter what round a lot of people you know i believe were very worried about gsp going in there after a layoff um but that fight was back and forth for a good while until gsp took over and the best moment of that fight was the one-two combo that condit threw and then he ducked in and threw a ducking head kick, landing straight on the temple of GSP. And you saw probably right 
pretty much before the Sarah fight. That was like one of the first times he really got rocked after being knocked out by Sarah. And um, to see him come back from that, that's, that showed me what a true champ was. Uh, I would say my second favorite fight, I would have to say, was Rafael Dos Anjos versus Anthony Pettis. Um, Pettis was coming off of a, a couple of wins. Uh, he was very confident. He beat Benson. He beat Gilbert Melendez. And he was, he was doing it in dominant fashion. He was just finishing guys. And um, Rafael Dos Anjos went in there as the underdog. He kept the pressure. He outstruck him pretty much every single round. He busted him up. And that, that showed that, you know, some guys, they have it before the title fight. And then they crumble. And then Rafael Dos Anjos showed that he was game from the moment they announced the fight to the last round. Um, and I would say my last most favorite fight was watching Eddie Alvarez, hometown kid, versus Justin Gaethje. Um, he switched his game plan. Um, probably the second, third round. He just turned it on, just went straight to the body. Um, that was Gaethje's weakness right there. He just couldn't take it to the body after a while. Opened him up, his hands dropped, and he caught him with that knee and finished him. And um, that was just one of the craziest fights I'd ever seen other than uh, Gilbert Melendez versus Diego Sanchez. So that was pretty much right up there for me. Yeah, that's all my... That thing, Gilbert Melendez versus Diego Sanchez is on my list of one of the craziest fights I've ever seen. Yeah, hands down. That, that's, <laughs> I don't think there's any other fight that could emulate that. Yeah, um, so my first memory of MMA is a lot more recent. Uh, the first pay-per-view I remember like being with a lot of people and watching was the first defense against Chris Weidman for Anderson Silva when he got knocked out. And it broke my heart because I went into that fight loving Anderson Silva like... I was getting prepped to watch the uh, the card because my buddies, I used to work with them, and they were like, no, you got to watch this Anderson Silva cat. So I watch all these Anderson Silva videos and dominant champion. <laughs> yeah. And he's actually my favorite fighter of all time, but that's my first memory. I have, like, I can't pinpoint it, so I don't count it, but I have memory of watching, like, WEC because I just remember Uriah Faber. Like, I loved Uriah Faber. Yeah. I was like, every time this guy's on, I want to watch. And it, I thought of MMA, like, wrestling, and I expected to turn on the next time and him be on, but it's like, oh, he's not on every night. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't... So that wasn't really... I can't really talk too much about it because I don't remember the first fight I saw. But as far as the first pay-per-view was that Anderson Silva fight. Broke my heart him getting knocked out like that and everybody like just in tears because he's the greatest of all time yeah or one of them at least my favorite fight of all time i'm not i can't even pinpoint like i guess i could say from last year whitaker romero too i'm a big yoel romero fan like if we had to go like favorite current Favorite fighter currently on the UFC roster, I have to say, Robert Romero. I don't care what anybody says about him. He's, like, dominant. He's beatable, but he's a beast. Yeah, he's a real freak of nature. Yeah, he can strike. He can wrestle. He can do all that. So if I had to go favorite current fighter, I'd say, well, if I had to go all-time, it's either Anderson Silva or Lyoto Machida because he's an animal. And he's still good. Still Still good. Lyoto is still an elite middleweight right now um he's one of those guys that uh if you can't figure out his style 
Um, and you're going to have a rough night. He has that blitzing left hand that he can land pretty much at will. Um, kicks, his, his whole arsenal is just unique in itself. He learned how to implement his karate within the sport of MMA and mixing stuff like Muay Thai and boxing. And it's beautiful to watch when you see him. Even the, like the last fight in the UFC with uh, Vitor Belfort, it was beautiful. And, it, and for him, it's a work of art. You know, that's, that's his art. That's his form of art. And that's why he's so graceful in there. You know, when he gets those knockouts, you can tell. He's been doing this a long time, and he's always game when he gets in there. Yeah, and you know your legendary status when people are kind of, like, using that style now. So, like, you see, like, the Stephen Thompson's, like, yeah, Stephen Thompson's, like, on a level of his own right now, but he yeah. has that, like, karate style. So when everybody sees him, they're like, oh, it's kind of like Machida. Like, look at him. Yeah. So, um, yes. Yeah, oh, oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's guys, too, who are now seeing that that style is working, uh, Guys such as uh, Henry Cejudo, you know, he switched up his game plan within the last two years, um, changed up his striking, and um, that style, that stance, just in itself, has been working for him. Um, he's never worried about getting the t- um, getting taken down because you know he's a he's a he's a gold medalist. You know, he did it. He was one of the youngest guys to ever do it. So takedowns are no question for him. He has nothing. He has no worries about that. Um, but it's been working for him. He's been landing strikes more efficiently. And he's been dropping guys. You know, a couple years ago when you look, he had solid boxing. But now he's putting it all together. So I, I think that, you know, the emergence of karate and MMA is, is starting to show itself more. Even guys like, you know, Bellator, Michael Venom Page. Oh, that yeah. guy is one of the few who can really use that style and dominate people. It's tough. Sometimes you will against a guy who's a pressure fighter, and they can shut that down by just keeping close to you. But he just knows how to keep the distance, and he's pretty well-rounded. It's not, he's an underrated guy, but he's pretty well-rounded. I think uh, if he went into the welterweight division in the UFC, I think uh, he would be top five very easily. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's not the last time we'll hear about him during no. this podcast. But you brought up Henry Cejudo, so... Let's go into the the year that was, you know, we're we're getting into 2019 and let's just give a quick recap of the champions from from 2018 going into 2019. So let's start with the flyweight division. The year started off with Demetrius Johnson as champion. Hmm. And it surprisingly ended with Henry Cejudo as champion. So what are your thoughts on that? Like Demetrius Johnson is maybe the pound for pound greatest fighter of all time like when it comes to like dominant title reign just he could do anything he's a mixed martial artist he's a purist like what could you tell me about demetrius johnson well he's basically the embodiment of the new breed of mma fighters um just looking at the way he started you know he had a good solid wrestling game um he was a lot smaller than than the guys that he fought but um, he started his career at 135. But him going to 125, you really saw his skill. He was fighting guys his size, and you can see, like AMC, Pancration, they changed him. They made him into an animal. Wrestling game, basically, it, it exemplifies GSP. His striking game is just on another level compared to all the other guys he fights. And that 11-fight winning streak before you know the, the loss to Henry Cejudo... 
that just showed how dominant he was. There's, I can't really remember a guy that was able to do anything to him that was scary other than his one fight. Uh, I can't remember the guy's name, um, but he came off of the Ultimate Fighter. He won the show, and he earned a title shot against Demetrius Johnson. Um, he gave him some trouble because of his weird style. But one of the greatest skills that Demetrius Johnson has is his ability to adapt to any style. Mm-hmm. Um, he's literally the most well-rounded fighter I've ever seen. Maybe the greatest submission finish we've ever seen, too. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, you would call it the whiz bar. I mean, that, that's what they're calling it in the games. Uh, Joe Rogan even, uh, he said that before as well. Um, that was one of the craziest submissions I've ever seen. Um, and he just did that just to put on a show. Tim Elliott. Tim Elliott, yeah, there you go. Tim took Elliott. Took him five rounds. Took him five rounds. It was a weird fight for Demetrius, and he just, he went in there and he got the job done. And um, other than that, other than the Ian McCall fight and, you know, the first two rounds of trouble he had against John Dodson, I mean, there's been nobody else. You know, he took a guy, um, the the champion right now in Risen, which is uh, Kyoji Horiguchi, and everybody thought he was going to be the one to beat Demetrius. And he freaking destroyed him easily, too. Um, there, there's just there's just levels to the well, game. Well, them, too, right? They went five rounds, and he didn't finish them until, like, the last second. Yeah. And he could have just won it. He could have just let it go. But yeah. it's that killer instinct that Demetrius had. He doesn't get enough credit for it. Because yeah. they're like, oh, yeah, well, the guys he's fighting are just not on that level. And it's true. You have guys who are good. You have guys who are great, who are in the top 10 always, pretty much for the, their entire career. And then you have elite-level fighters, right? And and they may be the best in that division, but then there's always that one guy, you know, the GSPs, you know, at the time, the Conor McGregor's, the Anderson Silva's, the Cain Velasquez's. Um, and then you have guys like Demetrius Johnson. Um, there's a reason why he was so dominant. And it was just because he showed everybody, when you put it all together, this is what it looks like. And this is how good you can be. Um, now, you did go into Henry Cejudo. Yeah. You're more of a believer than me in Cejudo. I, I, don't, I think he's so overrated. I do understand that he changed his style up. And he is, you know, he's, but he's just so boring to me. And I think he's so fake as, like, a personality. Like, he yeah. tries to put on this shtick. And it, do, it just doesn't work with me. So, he ended the year as champion. You kind of went into it already, but... What did you think about his run? You know, he had a couple dominant wins. What do you think? Um, I mean, the fight with Wilson Hayes, uh, I personally have trained with Hayes before. Um, Good fighter. But Henry showed that the training that he put into, like, you know, getting better and becoming the best, it paid off. Um, He dominated him. Did he win that fight, though? Yeah. I mean... It was he, real close. It was close, but he got the finish. I think that... Um, we might need to watch that fight and do, like, a commentary over Yeah. It, <laughs> I, I, well, I mean, when you look at the Cejudo versus Johnson fight, that was a very, very close fight. I mean, from the beginning, the opening round where he injured his, his ankle, you saw it, his leg gave out, and um, he persevered. And not only did he persevere, he won a couple rounds... Um, I would say that that was a very close one. It was a toss-up for me. Um, I had said that because of the last round, that scramble that he won and the takedown that he got, yeah. I believe he won the fight. But Demetrius could have easily won that. Um, 
there was just so much going on in that fight. You know, Henry, he knew that he had to either hit first or at least attempt to threaten Demetrius with the takedown. And when he get he did take, get those takedowns, um, it definitely changed the the way the fight was going. It changed the pace of the fight. You know, Demetrius had to think because he's like, damn, like he he can take me down. And you know, I think Henry Cejudo had to find it in himself to say, all right, I got to do more. I got to do more each round. And you could see, um, you know, the output. He was getting tagged a lot in that fight. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, Demetrius wasn't as dominant as he usually is. And um, I think that was pretty much the closest matchup that we will ever see when it comes to Demetrius Johnson. And I think it, when it came to him not really being dominant, I think it was more of a passion issue for him Yeah, being still in the UFC. Like, now he moves to one where if you listen to interviews with Demetrius Johnson, he talks a lot about being a true martial artist. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like... He went there thinking that that's more of, like, a martial artist organization where the UFC is, like, more entertainment. Like, yes, they're fighters. Yes, they're putting on, you know, these are real fights. Like, yeah, yeah. But it's entertainment still, you know? UFC, they're, they're on ESPN now. Like, yes, it's a sport, but it's really getting to the point where it's entertainment where you're pushing guys like Conor McGregor. You're giving Cody Garbrandt you know, these title shots where, you know, now you're not even living up to it. Yeah, and and that's the thing with him. He's um, he's just too dominant. That's what a lot of people said. He doesn't have competition. And you saw it in the numbers of the pay-per-views when he would headline and just people didn't think it was interesting. It's not to say he's not a good fighter. He's one of the best in the world. He will continue to be the best in the world. I don't think he will lose ever again. Um not to say that the, the the elite level fighters that won championship don't have a chance, but uh, Demetrius is special. But um, it's true. I mean, there just there just wasn't enough competition for him, and it does get boring after a while seeing somebody dominate. It was the same thing with Silva. You know, he put on some tough fights, uh, some some fights that a lot of fans were just like, well, "What are you doing?" You know, Damian Maya. You know, when when he fought, um, I would I would like to say Chael Sonnen the first time. Um, just to see him go out like that and get the the last round submission that was good but yeah i mean sometimes it's just it's hard to watch guys like that but um the division definitely shook up um you know just seeing henry come out on top that, yeah. that was crazy and and going into 2019 uh might not exist anymore so yeah. that brings <laughs> us to bantamweight TJ Dillashaw starts the year as champion, one defense, finished the year as champion, a defense that probably didn't need to happen because of their first fight. Mm-hmm. He fought Cody Garbrandt and finished him. Knees and punches. What can you tell me about TJ Dillashaw? This guy is, he's special. Um, TJ Dillashaw, you know, starting off with alpha male, you know, he kind of, I, I, I want to say he fell into the pack. You know, there was nothing really special about him starting off. But I think, you know, when he took Dwayne Ludwig's uh, advice and he kind of took him under his wing, he really wanted to be the best. Um, Now, of course, there's controversy behind that, you know, with people saying that, you know, he pretty much ended one of his uh, teammates' careers. Um, You know, there's speculation showing that, you know, he hits guys after the belt. It's a lot of stuff, you know. Um, even just down to the bone where you, you can say he's a very selfish guy. He's not very team-oriented. 
and I think that TJ Dillashaw, he took that and made it his own. You know, he took the old moniker of being the snake. Mm-hmm. But um, this guy, he, he you can't deny his skill. You can't deny that he's a very elite fighter, and he has to be top 10 pound for pound. Um, seeing that second fight um, with him against Garbrandt, even the first fight was amazing. But the second fight, he showed that um, he wasn't afraid to get in there and fight with a guy who has knockout power. Um, he, like he says, he loves to do this. Like, this is his passion. And I think that's why he's one of the best. And it was like you touched on. You know, a lot of guys lose their passion um, when you've been dominating for so long. But, you know, when you look at when he fought um, Dominic Cruz, that was a close fight. But when he lost after what he did to Hennon Burrell, that would sting for anybody. You know, because he beat a guy who hadn't lost in X amount of years. I think it was like 9 or 10 he was undefeated for a long time, dominating everybody. And TJ just went in there, and he continues like what he did that night to just prove people wrong. Um, that's his biggest. I think that's his biggest drive as a fighter to just prove people wrong. Um, I love the TJ Dillashaw as a fighter. I think um, he's in my top five of all time favorites. Um, his Muay Thai is just. It's crazy. It's bang. I should say his bang Muay Thai because it's it, it doesn't emulate any real Muay Thai fighter that I that I've seen in the past ten years. He just has his own style, and I think that Dwayne Ludwig's um, bang Muay Thai is perfect for MMA. And TJ Dillashaw is the epitome of that. You know, he's not worried about the takedown. He's another wrestler, standout wrestler, and his striking is just it's just next level. I think that this fight with Henry Cejudo. Um, to, to you know, for this champion versus champion fight, it's going to be interesting. The most interesting thing is the fact that a guy who has that much muscle mass at 135 is willing to go down to fight Henry Cejudo, and I think that shows not only his dedication to the sport, but I think that just shows his overall passion just as a fighter. He doesn't care who he fights. He doesn't care what he has to do to be the best, but he's going to do it. Um, if I'm looking at who's going to win that fight, I'm going to say TJ. I think TJ is too big for Henry, and I think he's... I think he finishes him. I think he finishes him very quickly. Mm -hmm. It sucks because I am a fan of Henry, but to a certain extent, you know, when you look at him at flyweight, he's just a huge dude. He cuts a lot of weight, but um, I just think that it's going to be another situation like Demetrius. When Demetrius first fought Dominic Cruz at Bantamweight, you could see that it wasn't about skill. He had the skill. You know, if Dominic was a flyweight at that time, he could have probably won that that fight. But I don't think Henry Cejudo is going to be able to to really adapt and deal with the size difference. I don't think he's going to be able to deal with the speed and the strength of a guy like TJ Dillashaw. Which, you know, begs the question, what will happen once TJ wins? You know, that I mean, what, what will happen? And, and, and that, I think that's the question that's looming because you still have guys... Like Marlon Marias, you still have guys in the mix like Dominic Cruz, still mm-hmm. um, John Lineker. There's a bunch of guys who are gunning for TJ, especially guys like John Lineker who lost to him recently. Guys like Dominic Cruz who beat him and now is like, no, I have a right to the throne. I have a right to get a title shot. Yeah, I hope this. Uh, you know, he's hurt now, so let's hope that he heals up and gets better and yeah. able to jump in again. I mean, if not, it doesn't matter. He's a great analyst. Oh, yeah. And a great commentator. He's one of the best. Um, I think he's right up there with Rogan. Um, If I had to put, like, a scale, it would have to be Rogan first, him, 
and then DC, of course. I think DC does a great job at that. Um, yeah, uh, this year for bantamweight is going to be interesting. I think uh, a big title fight that no one's talking about right now is going to be Marlon Moraes versus TJ Dillashaw. Um, that will be a real test for TJ. Marlon Moraes got to get through Jose, right? Yeah, through Jose Aldo first. Yeah, I mean that's going to be yeah, that's going to be interesting. I want to see where that goes. So we move on to featherweight. The champion starting the year and ending the year, Max Holloway. One defense, got it in at the end of the year, and maybe one of the best featherweight fights of all time Yes. versus Brian Ortega. What's the deal with Max Holloway? He's got a big year ahead of him this year, huh? Yeah. I mean, he's got to move up to 155. Um, these guys, they're just not big enough. They're not fast enough. And he's just got too much heart in there. I don't think that you can beat him at that game at this time. When he was younger, you know, he wasn't fully in it. He was still young. But now he's a seasoned veteran. He's a champ. He's defended his belt twice. Um, and I think that as far as the competition in the 145-pound division, there's really none left for him. He's beaten everybody, and he did it the way that Stipe Miocic did. He He worked his way up, and he beat everybody. You know, um, I think that 155 is going to be an interesting division for him to shake it up. And I want to see him fight the guys like Dustin Poirier. I want to see him fight guys like Connor, guys like Kevin Lee, Edson Barbosa, which I think will be a great opening fight for him if he doesn't get that super fight with Khabib. I think that that would be a great fight to start off 2019. But if it doesn't happen, you know, obviously there's a lot of shakeup going on in the, in the lightweight division. But I think that if he can test himself against somebody like Edson, who's coming off a win against Dan Hooker, which was crazy to watch. But um, I want Max Holloway to be dominant, and I think that he still has what it takes to be a champion at 155. But he has to definitely make a claim to a title shot before he goes in and starts fighting big names. So for him, he's going to have to fight guys like Kevin Lee. He's going to have to fight, if he gets a shot, at Tony Ferguson, if he doesn't win the belt against Khabib. Um, you know, God willing, he does, because I'm, I'm pulling for Tony Ferguson. Yeah. I love Khabib, but I, I think Tony's got what it takes. Uh, but as far as the 145 division, Brian Ortega is going to dominate that division. Um, aside from Max Holloway, I don't think anybody can beat him. There's nobody who can do what Max Holloway does. And Brian Ortega is only getting better and better every time he steps in the gym, every time he's, you know, he's just there, and he's ready to go. He's not afraid to fight anybody, and just the mere fact that his jiu-jitsu is that good with a mentor like Henry Gracie, um, just the fact that his jiu-jitsu is that good just shows that there's room for him to grow. He's going to become a better striker. He's going to start putting it all together, and I hope that he starts working on his wrestling. But other than that, I mean, if you're talking about guys like Frankie Edgar, if you're talking about guys like, I don't know, not even Chad Mendes, the guy who just beat him, um... There's, there's really nobody. I think Brian Ortega smokes everybody. Dominates that division for years to come. Mm-hmm. So then we move into the lightweight division. I don't even know. I guess Ferguson was the champ going into the year. Yeah. And then now, well, he was the interim champ, and now we're at light or we're at Khabib now. He beats what's his name? Jesus Christ! Who did he beat for the title? Oh, uh, Ally Quinta. Ally Quinta. He yeah. beats Ally Quinta. 
Then he comes in, he smokes Conor McGregor. I don't have much more to say because it's, you know, we can't really say much about Khabib or Conor right now because they still have to go in front of the commission. But dominant as always, I'm looking forward to more of Khabib. I'm sure you are too. Let's move on to welterweight. Tyron Woodley, my least favorite champion in the division, <laughs> in the whole organization. I give him his props, but man, I can't stand this guy. You can maybe sing his praises a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's hard to root for a guy like that. I would say that even out of all the, the female fighters in, in uh, the UFC, he's the biggest diva. He's always complaining about something. He's always complaining about not getting the respect he deserves. Yet, he continues to go in there and, you know, prove everyone wrong. I think one of the most dominant wins from him, you know, other than knocking out Josh Koscheck and Jay Haran, um, sleeping Robbie Lawler in the first round was pretty much one punch. Um, you know, the fight against Darren Till, he definitely proved all the doubters wrong. People thought that Darren Till's size and striking was going to be a problem for him, and he ended up dropping him and submitting him in, in pretty impressive fashion with one of my favorite submissions of all time, the Darce Choke. Um, I didn't even see that submission coming. Yeah, we but, saw that fight together. Yeah, and uh, Woodley showed us that he was he's the real deal at welterweight. I think the only fight left for him other than Usman is... I don't, I don't really care for the Covington fight. I think he'll knock Covington out probably in the first three, two or three rounds. But uh, the fight to make, obviously, is going to be him versus GSP. Don't want to see GSP at middleweight. Don't want him see him. I don't want to see him at 165, 155, 145. I want to see him in his natural weight fighting a guy who's his size and of the same skill set. Um, you're looking at two of the best wrestlers in the game. Um, two guys with the highest takedown um, defense percentage. Um it has to be the fight. That that has to be it. There's no excuse for it. I think that it would be silly to really make a fight with anybody else but him. And um, the reason why is simple. I mean, most dominant champion in welterweight history versus second most dominant champion in uh, welterweight history. Granted, Tyron Woodley, he had a couple rough fights with, uh, you know, um, Wonder Boy. Two fights with him. Hard to watch, but he gets the job done in the second fight. I mean, you can't deny him as a champ as much as I would like to. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I think that he's not going to be the most successful guy in the UFC. Um, I think that with the implementation of the new weight classes, he's going to go up, allow Ben Askren, you know, to take everyone to funky town. So that's <laughs> going to be very interesting. I, I think that's one thing we do have to touch for sure. Um, ben yeah, Askren we'll, is a monster. We'll definitely get to that. So that's enough on Tyron Woodley because I hate him. <laughs> no, nah, I don't hate him. But I, I dislike him. <laughs> so then we move to middleweight, starting the year and finishing the year off with champion. One defense in the middle of the year and maybe one of my favorite fights of all time, Robert Whitaker. He he beats my boy twice. Yeah. He, he destroys uh, Jacare. He beats Derek Brunson, who everybody's beating now. Like, <laughs> yeah. Can this guy get some respect, please? I'll give him the respect he deserves, man. Robert Whitaker right now is one of my favorite fighters. Um, 
I watch him to the T. There's a guy that I watch a lot on YouTube. His name is Mind Smash. And the way he broke down Robert Whitaker's style um, using the Jacare fight was beautiful. He uses an interesting style of crisp and very high-level boxing ability with karate. Um, and even Aikido, he talks about. Um, you just see his style. It's hard to deal with. He's got good hands, but he's got good kicks, and he's very underrated as just the overall striker. Um, he, he's got power in his hands. Um, the fights with Yoel Romero, man, those were some crazy fights. And the mere fact that at the end of the second fight when he beat him, he said it himself, I don't want to fight a guy like Yoel Romero because Yoel Romero is a monster in there. To look at a guy at that age with that kind of muscle mass and to actually have to accept the fact that he's not taking PEDs um, or just straight, just it's it's insane. He is in his forties now, and he looks like the Terminator, you know, reincarnated as a Cuban guy. <laughs> it's crazy, but he beat him, and I think the only fight that will count as far as the legacy of Whitaker is gonna have to be him versus Israel Adesanya. Um, or Paulo Costa. These two guys are coming up in the middleweight division. Nobody's really talking about Costa. I think they should be, especially after his victory over Uriah Hall, who was a very good striker. But Paulo Costa showed him. Like, I have real power in this division. He's another freak of nature. I was excited to see him versus Yoel Romero, two tanks going at it, you know, like World War II, just smashing against each other. Maybe it's better that that fight doesn't happen, though. Yeah, <laughs> I think somebody's career will get ended as that yeah. happens. But um, those are really the two guys that are trying to really, who really have a chance at claiming the throne. You touched on Derek Brunson. Um, he didn't, he's got no chance. Uh, I think he's done. He's done. He needs to move on. I think he was done when Robert Whitaker cracked him with that right head kick that he didn't see. Of course, <laughs> again, every time he always gets cracked with a head kick and doesn't know how to defend. But yeah, I want to see those two fights. Um, whether it'll be either or first doesn't really matter to me. I think that Robert Whitaker has a better chance against Paulo Costa. I think he'll be able to deal with the power and size. But I honestly believe that this year will be the end of his reign. I think Israel will take him and pick him apart probably four or five rounds and it's hard to say because Robert Whitaker is one of my favorite fighters but we saw what he, how easily he dispatched Eric Brunson and I think he always rises to the occasion against every fighter even looking back at his you know kickboxing career he fought some tough guys some of the best guys in the world who are now either have just been champions and lost or are now current champions you know, he only got knocked out cold, I think, once. And um, he just shows. He's he's dominant. He's going to go in there. He's going to slice you up, do whatever he's got to do. So I want to see that big fight against Adesanya, and I'm excited for that fight. Yeah, so with that being said, let's move into light heavyweight. We start the year off with the greatest of all time, Daniel Cormier, as champion. And we end the year, breaks my heart to say, <laughs> John Jones, that piece of garbage, as <laughs> champion. So light heavyweight, DC maybe the most active champion this year, can yep. we say? Big time. Uh, title defense in each division, right? Yep, that's true. So he starts off in January, he beats Ozdemir for the light heavyweight title, he defends that. 
Then he goes in July and he beats Stipe for the heavyweight title and defends that title against Derek Lewis. And then we got John Jones fights finally after what two years, almost two years. Yeah, and he, and he destroys Gustafson. Yeah, and one of the probably the most anticipated rematch uh, in a long time. That was a that was wow, and it didn't live up to it. Like we anticipated it. But maybe John was right. Maybe he was just off that night. Yeah, I think that with Gustafson being as good as he is, that was weird to watch. He got dominated. And what's worse is it was in a very strange way. He got trapped. Um, John Jones literally trapped both of his arms. And he could have went for the choke. And he just decided to wail on him. Um, But it's true what Gustafson said. He got rattled the first round. He couldn't really find his distance. He couldn't connect with anything solid. And John was just doing what he does best. Picking you apart from the outside and adapting to your style. When you see the first fight when they fought against each other, it was John who was having trouble. Chris boxing, good footwork. He never really faced anybody like that because Gustafson was not a stationary target. And even in the second fight, Gustafson was not a stationary target. But I think the difference was the pressure that John was putting on him by kicking him with those uh, oblique kicks. Uh, Those leg kicks were destroying Gustafson's leg. You can see the redness in both legs. You can see that he was having trouble, and it was because of that. When you are the kind of guy who is adamant on moving and using footwork as an advantage against fighters, and you're debilitated, it's, it's rough to watch. Because Gustafson is an elite guy, but John Jones on top of you, with every intent of cracking your skull open with vicious elbows or choking you unconscious, like he did with Leota Machida. I mean, it's it's hard to stop a guy like that. Um, everybody's been talking about a potential third fight between him and you know. One of the greatest dad bod champions of all time, DC. <laughs> but um, I don't, I don't think it happens. I don't think it should happen. I don't think it should either. And I think that would be one of the stupidest fights because you know I love DC. He's awesome, great commentator, amazing fighter. He's legitimately number one pound for pound. But he can't beat DC. I mean, he can't beat. Sorry, he can't beat John Jones anywhere. Um, he's a great wrestler. But he doesn't have the size. He's a great striker, you know, within his own realm with hooks and uppercuts. But he's not tall enough. He doesn't have long arms. Everything that John has is literally the reason why DC, DC can't win. Um, it's just like Chris Weidman versus Anderson Silva. We saw the second fight. Silva was game. He was going in there. He was using leg kicks like the last time. This time he was a little more cautious. But... Every now and then, you're going to have elite fighters, and they're going to end up facing a guy who's just got their number. It happens all the time. Even with Jock Ray versus um, Derek Brunson. He got knocked out when they first fought in Strike Force, and then he gets knocked out again when they fight in UFC Fight Night. There's just guys who always have your number, and I think DC's number is always going to be John Jones. Um, and it sucks, but I think Cormier should finish his career out at heavyweight. And retire before, you know, Cain Velasquez comes back and destroys Ngannou and probably fights Stipe. 
So, yeah, I mean, the light heavyweight division is going to be shaken up. You got guys, I believe his name is Dominic Reyes. He looks like the new John Jones. Um, the dude's a freak. He beat Ovin St. Pru in one of the craziest ways I've ever seen. He knocked him out. And, you know, he ended up getting the decision. But I think he's one to watch for. I want to. I really want to hear people stop talking about Corey Anderson. I think he's one of the most overrated fighters right now. They like, call him overtime for a reason because he's putting us all to sleep. Yeah, he he's he's talking um, he's talking big fights. He's talking title fights, and um, there's just some guys you just don't want to see get destroyed. And he's one of them. I think he's a nice kid, but when you're looking at a John Jones against Corey Anderson. It's obvious what's going to happen, you know. And at this point, I don't think the UFC should even entertain a fight like that. I think it's going to happen, though. Uh, I think with this Anthony Smith fight, and it's it's a shame. Like you said, like, Anthony Smith, nice guy. But these are tune-up fights. Like, he's going to yeah. fight. He's going to tune Anthony Smith up. <laughs> and he's going to tune Corey Anderson up. Yeah. Because he said, he already said he wants to fight. Three or four times this year. He could do it if he's fighting these easy fights. Yeah, of course. There's really nobody else for him to fight at that division. I think uh, I think he waits. If he wants to fight Daniel Cormier at heavyweight, I think that will be the real challenge. Daniel doesn't have to go wait. Comes in comfortable. Maybe he does something against them, but I think he still loses. I think John Jones at heavyweight right now will be the biggest thing in 2019. Um you know, obviously you don't want to see him against guys like Francis and Gano in his first fight. But a good fight for him would be somebody like Curtis Blades. Um, or maybe a guy like uh, Alexander Volkov. Guys like that, that would be a good fight for John Jones at heavyweight. Um, but other than that, I, I don't know. The talent pool in the light heavyweight division is very thin. It's not like any other division. All of the guys in the top ten right now have either been close to fighting John Jones or have fought him and lost or have fought DC and lost or have fought Gustafson and lost. And now with Gustafson losing, there's nobody else. So, yeah, it's hard to talk about the light heavyweight division because there's really nobody new other than Dominic Reyes and Anthony Smith. And Anthony Smith, some people may know, some people may not. Anthony Smith has been in the game a very, very long time. And he's here now. He's in his prime. He's, he made his claim for the title shot by he just it. beating everybody, and he deserves it. I mean, look, the Volcano-Zemir fight for Smith wasn't the easiest one. I think he was getting pieced up, but he got the finish. So you got to give him credit for that. And I think that this fight will be interesting. I think Smith's going to go in there and try to probably knock John Jones out, but I just don't think he'll be able to go after the fourth round. I think John Jones will just let him wail on him. He'll take him down. And then after that, that'll pretty much be it. But yeah, I think that's the highlight of this year, just watching John Jones beat everybody. And then hopefully saying, hey, I'm going up to heavyweight. Yeah, so we covered heavyweight already. DC, you know, he finishes off the year as champion. Women's strawweight, Rose, she starts the year as champion, finishes the year as champion. No defenses. Not her fault. Not her fault. She, uh, you know, she had that little mishap mm-hmm. with uh, Conor McGregor. <laughs> but she does have her next fight. She will be fighting Jessica Andrade, which you seem to think is a hard fight for her. Yeah. Um, Jessica Andrade poses a big problem for anybody in that division. She is way too strong 
for 115. You can just see it. It's kind of like one of those things where, you know, like basketball. You have guys who are centers, and they'll go against other centers, and then you have guys like that are just way too strong in the paint, like Andre Drummond. And she's kind of like that um, at straw weight. It's crazy. But if she can ragdoll Rose Nami Yunus and just get her on the ground, like she did with Claudia Godella, I don't really see that fight lasting long. But the best thing about Rose is that she, like Demetrius Johnson, like Connor, they can adapt well to certain opponents. And I think Rose will be able to adapt to her very easily. Um, you cannot deny Rose didn't earn that shot against Joanna. She went on a pretty good winning streak, only losing in a split decision in a close fight against Karolina uh, Kovalkiewicz. It was a tough fight, but I think Rose, you know, got the better of her in some exchanges. But we won't talk about that because, mm-hmm. you know, Kovalkiewicz has her hands full with Michelle Watterson, which I think is a fun fight. Uh, that will probably determine who's in the top top five. For sure. But um, Rose Nami Yunus against Joanna the first time. I think I ran down the block <laughs> a couple times. I was freaked out. You know, she just knocked her out cold. And a lot of people didn't notice, but um, Joanna tapped to strikes. She says she doesn't, but you can clearly see her hand go like this. Mm-hmm. And she didn't want any more. That second fight showed that Rose was able to adapt to, you know, somebody who was at the championship level. She's she's one to watch. I think she'll be one of the most dominant champs. In unpopular opinion, I think she fights Valentina at 125. I, I hope not. <laughs> if she wins against Jessica Andraj, which is why I say this, if she can win against somebody that strong, I don't think she'll have any trouble with Valentina. I think that the real trouble was you know, for Valentina was um, Joanna. But against Rose... Who knocked her out and beat her again after that. I don't, I don't think this will be an easy fight for either of them. But I think Rose could probably be the best chance at being another double champ. Which I think will be insane. Yeah, so then we move on to women's flyweight. Uh, start the year off with Nico Montano. And then end the year off with Valentina Shevchenko. Maybe the most dominant woman in the smaller weight classes, let's say. Because... Yeah. Because now that she's moved down, she's a different person. What can you tell me about Valentina? I mean, she's she comes in and she she has a good performance against, you know, um, Joanna. But what's next? Like, what does she do now? I mean, she has a couple of options. I think, uh, unfortunately, the Montano fight is on the table. And then you have Sajara Eubanks, um, who just won against Roxanne Mataferi. I don't think that those fights are easy for her. I think that, you know, we all know that she'll win. And it's not based off of me being biased, because I, I think Valentina's a great fighter. But when you look at skill level, when you look at strength, when you look at just overall ability, especially when it comes to the last two rounds, I don't think girls like Nico Montano and Sajara Eubanks, I don't think they can do it. I don't think they can last with her. Joanna was probably the best chance, uh, the best person to go against, uh, you know, for a title shot. But after that, you know, just like the light heavyweight division, flyweight division is very stretched thin. There's nobody in there. 
Um, you're going to have guy, like a girls like Alexis Davis, who is now fighting there. But she lost to Ronda Rousey. Um, I have my opinions about Ronda Rousey. But uh, I'll leave that for the wrestling segment. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, the one fight that's on the table for her is the third fight with Amanda Nunes. I think that would be an interesting fight. Champ versus double champ, which has never been done in the UFC. Beat her twice already, though, Amanda. I think the second fight was very close, and I'm not going to lie, I think Valentina won. So, off of that last fight, I think she can fight her, because she's the only one who can fight her. Mm-hmm. Um, if you talk about, like, Nico Montano winning the championship, and maybe this stuff never happened, maybe she does beat Valentina, 135 for her is not an option. Girls are too big, too strong, and Valentina's been there. She beat Holly Holm. She beat everybody up there. Um, but Valentina's going to be one to watch, for sure. So, moving on to women's bantamweight. I guess we can put women's bantamweight and featherweight together because ending the year off, Woo! Amanda Nunes in bantamweight having two defenses, and then in featherweight, beating Cyborg. Woo! Another one that kind of hurt because Cyborg, what a beast. Ugh. But she finally met her match in Amanda Nunez. What a year for Amanda Nunez. What a year. Beating somebody who pretty much hadn't lost in over 10 plus years. And we're not just talking about any fighter. We're not talking about any female fighter. We're talking about Cyborg. The GOAT. She's the GOAT, right? You can yeah. call her the greatest of all time. You can. The greatest female fighter of all time. And no one saw that coming. Not even me. And I'm a huge Cyborg fan. Honestly, going into that fight, I thought that it was going to be the other way around. I've never really been a huge fan of Amanda Nunes. I think that, in my opinion, she came to win the title at the right time against the right opponent. You know, had it been Holly Holm who had beat Nisha Tate instead of her getting choked out, Amanda Nunes was not going to win that fight, in my opinion. She wouldn't have been able to beat Holly Holm. Especially on the... uh, a Holly Holm that was on top of her game like she was against Ronda you know um, but this was an interesting fight because you saw Amanda who I kept saying it I'm not scared of her and you're thinking yeah but you might be as soon as you (laughs) are standing in front of her and seeing the stature her physical attributes how strong she looks the fact that she's probably one of the scariest looking females on planet earth just in general um, you walked into a bar and she said, hey, that's my seat. I think I would get up. <laughs> so, you know, honestly, I didn't think that fight was going to go well for Amanda. I thought she was too small. Which is crazy because they're yeah. the same height. Same height, but just the muscle mass yeah. difference just scared so me. So much bigger. And then then it happened. The first shot that she landed where Cyborg got dropped. I thought it was a fluke. I thought she was going to be fine. And then the flurry started happening. The precise striking, the accuracy, the speed. Nobody ever dominated Amanda Nunes. I mean, um, excuse me, it's Chris Cyborg like that. Nobody. She lost once, and I think it was her first fight in her career. And after that, she won 20 times in a row. Come on. So to see that, it, that, was, that was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. Um, I would have to say that's probably the biggest upset in championship history, I would say it's up there in UFC history because that that was insane. Uh, I don't take anything away from Chris Cyborg because she's still dominant. 
I don't think that rattled her much. I think she took it very well. That loss, she took well. And she handled it with grace the same way Joanna did when she lost and got knocked out by Rose Namajunas. Shout out to uh, Thug Rose. Cause <laughs> that's, that's one of my favorites. But that, that, that was pretty crazy. But I think that Cyborg comes back one fighter to watch it. You know, women's uh, featherweight is definitely Megan Anderson. Uh, I will say she's probably one of the hottest fighters right now. Like appearance, uh, appearance, or <laughs> and just overall as a fighter. Um, it was unfortunate what happened when she fought Kat Singano. That was a freak. That was a freak incident. Yeah. But I saw that fight going in favor of Megan. Anyways, she was way too big for a cat. So I hope to see that fight in the you know the future. Cyborg versus Megan Anderson. And that should be a fun fight for the featherweight division for the women. So, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, Amanda Nunes still hasn't fought Holly Holm. So, <laughs> I don't know if she's ducking Holly or, you know, Holly. Holly's career is kind of, you know. Yeah. Up and down. Up and down, so. But I don't think it's her fault. It's not. You know, like, I can't lie to you. I was very sad to watch the fight with Jermaine Durandamy. Um, and the reason being was because she had every every chance at beating her, but just those those late late round blows that was just ridiculous. I think she should have got disqualified, and I think that that definitely brought a downside to the women's featherweight division. Jermaine Durand and me kind of screwed it up for a lot of people. So I think that Cyborg saved the day, but I think a fight between Amanda Nunes and Holly Holm will be an interesting one. I don't know about you, but I think Holly Holm can win. Yeah. If she does win, that will be very interesting. But yeah. So talking about Holly Holm, let's get into 2019. We're here now. Let's talk about some key matchups. So we could start with Holly Holm. She's going to face Aspen Ladd at UFC 235. What do you think? Does does Aspen Ladd come up with the upset? You know, Aspen Ladd is somebody who's very marketable. She's she's Irish, so you know the big Irish contingency with UFC fans. What do you think? Um, well, Aspen Ladd, she is good fighter, good skills, um, undefeated. You know, so that's that's something to look forward to. I think that right now, um, this fight for her is a big one. She's not just fighting any fighter. She's fighting former champion. This is a big test for her. And the crazy thing is that she's only ranked number seven in the world in the bantamweight division. You know, there's killers up there in that division. Well, she's two two fights in. Two fights in into um, her UFC career. Yeah, I mean, look, she 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 beat Landsberg pretty easily. But both mm-hmm. fights, she she beat both of them by finish. Yeah. So it it goes to show that she has the ability. She's so young now. She's only twenty three. Um, she's a bit smaller than most, um, but I think that she does have a chance if she can dominate Holly Holm in the ground aspect. If she can do that, I think she has a chance. I wouldn't, I, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I would not necessarily call it an upset victory because, you know, because then you can call an upset victory Conor McGregor versus Jose Aldo one, which, and to my opinion, was not because I. I knew in the fight that Connor was going to go in there and win. But um, Aspen Ladd, I think she takes it in three rounds if she can get her to the ground. Uh, if she gets head kicked, 
Yeah, that's not going to end well. <laughs> is there any other... Is there a fight that hasn't been announced? You know, there's been a lot of heavyweight fights announced. There's been a lot of, uh, you know, title fights announced. Is there anything that we haven't already talked about that you're excited for this year? Yeah, I mean, the emergence of Mr. Funky Town, Ben Askren. That's, that's one... That's one fighter that we have to watch. Um, the key matchup right now is his first real fight at welterweight against Robbie Lawler. He's going against the ruthless one. And um, it's going to be interesting to see. I don't think it'll be a snooze fest at all. Um, but to be honest with you, as much as I love Ben Askren, his funky style, and his ability to dominate pretty much every fighter he's ever faced... Um, I don't know if I see him dominating Robbie Lawler. Robbie Lawler has some of the best takedown defense in the game right now. I mean, when you saw him fight guys like um, Roy McDonald and how he stuffed a lot of his takedowns, he's always been good at just not getting taken down, and he still has been using that sprawling brawl style. You know, it's that old Chuck Liddell style, and he has that still and is doing well. But I want to see him be tested against somebody as good as Ben Askren. And and the same thing for Ben, because if he gets knocked out, where does his career go from there after being undefeated for his entire career? Beating the best of the best within the realm of what organization he was fighting in. Um, but yeah, other key matchups, I would say Colby Cove, unfortunately. Colby Cove probably versus Ben Askren as well. A lot of crap talking going on there. It's 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 very interesting. Yeah, basically that whole welterweight division. You know, Kobe Covington, Kamara Usman, Tyron, Ben Askren, even the undercard guys, like you said, like Robbie Lawler. Those are exciting fights to see. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think that it's going to be interesting, just mainly because there's never really been anybody like Ben Askren that's coming to the UFC like this and have just already just been making noise. The only one I can think of was probably Jake Shields. He posed a huge threat for George St. Pierre. And even George said it. He was like, I don't know how I'm going to deal with this grappling. So the best thing I could do is just stay on the feet. And that's what he did. But I don't think that's what happens in this fight with Ben. I think Ben is going to go in there with the, the mentality of finishing Robbie. But this is probably the biggest test in his career. You know, If he gets hit with one shot, he can go to sleep. And if fifth round Lawler comes out, and Ben hasn't taken him down. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> so if you had to pick a girl and a guy for the UFC to watch next year, just one of each, who are your picks? Israel Adesanya and Rose. I want to see where Rose's legacy will stand when she fights the best of the best. I think she is the draw for the super fights for the females. I think she draws in the most numbers as a dominant champion. Um, but as far as Adesanya, I want to see what happens when he is tested by the best in that division. And if he goes out on top, what will happen? I think the only smart move for him is fighting at 205. He's got the size. When he was a pro kickboxer, he fought at heavyweight and knocked out heavyweight cold. And not with some crazy lucky punch. He caught him with a straight left and slept him. 
that shows the kind of power that he has, even though people are like, oh, he's too lanky, too skinny, doesn't really have power. Adesanya has power in his kicks, punches, elbows, and knees. So we will see what will happen if he fights. I think that a key matchup, it sounds crazy, but I think one key matchup will be if he defends his title once or twice, and at the end of the year, if he fights John Jones. Nobody's going to be talking about that now, but you heard it here first on your boy, Elroy. All right. <laughs> so your woman is Rose, right? Yeah, for sure. Okay. For sure. So if I had to pick my my fighters to watch next year, I'll go different because Israel Adesanya is one, but I, I, I don't appreciate the disrespect. You're looking past the GOAT. He has to beat Anderson Silva <laughs> before we could say anything about a title shot and then maybe moving up. <laughs> so my guy to watch next or this year, Zabit. You, the first person I ever heard Z- talk about Zabit was Joe Rogan, and then you gave me a full breakdown Ooh. on Zabit. He's fighting Jeremy Stevens. Oh. That's a hell of a fight for him. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> He's, he has a lot to look forward to this year. If he can come out of that fight unscathed, and then he might be the only person who can pose a threat to Max Holloway. Yeah. I didn't really necessarily bring his name up because we have no idea what's going to happen with Max. And this kid is still... I wouldn't say kid because this dude's elite. He's 27 years old. He's the oldest 27-year-old I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy because he looks like... He looks like another... A grizzled young Yeah. Vet. But Jesus, this guy's skills are just another level. I, I I love him as a fighter. And there are very few guys that I'll go back and watch old tapes. Like, I did that with Israel Adesanya. I did that with Anderson Silva. But with this guy, it's different. You know, he's he's got interesting an interesting background. You know, you're talking about pancreation, wrestling, Sambo, um, even Sanshu, which was, you know, was really brought into popularity by Kung Lee when he started fighting um, Strike Force, Elite XC, and the UFC. But this kid's got it all. And what's even scarier is it's not even that he can put it all together. He's got the swagger about him where you can see that he's just like, nah, you're not ready to be in here with me. <laughs> And it's scary because we're getting these new breed of fighters that can do everything very well. And I think that he's he's the new guy. Um, but man, thank you for reminding me because that matchup between either him and Brian Ortega or him or Max Holloway, I think that's going to be interesting. I think he's another guy who can go for a potential super fight at 155 because he's huge for 145. He's 6'1". He's got long arms. He's fast. He's got grappling skills. He's surprisingly strong. And what's even scarier is that he's got a chin on him. I don't know, man. This is going to be an interesting year for him. I think that he walks right through Jeremy Stevens. Um, Just the same way Jose Aldo did. So maybe that fight's up in the air. Maybe Jose Aldo versus him to determine... You know, who's top five? Well, you figure he'll have to go through Jose Aldo anyway if he wants Max. Yeah, because I think that Jose Aldo, after beating a guy like Jeremy, and let's let's face it, Jeremy is very dangerous. Um, he hits guys and puts them to sleep, remember? Yeah. He said it in that press conference. <laughs> when, when he touches them, they don't move. <laughs> yeah. And and he did that with the last fight he had. He did it to do Ho Choi. But gosh, he is not really going to be able to do that to Zabit, in my opinion. I think he's got his hands full. 
it was the same way when Jeremy Stevens was on a vicious winning streak and he fought Max Holloway. His hands were full against him. So, yeah, it's a beat. Man, I can't believe I forgot about him. I'm so sad. I'm disappointed in myself as an MMA buff, as a true fan of the sport. But, man, that guy is crazy. Another guy we have to talk about for sure is Sugar Sean O'Malley. Sugar Sean O'Malley, man. man. Let's he's hope. taking people to the Sugar Show this year. Well, he's hurt. He is. So let's see how he gets through his injury, but hopefully he'll be able to get in at least before the end of the year. My woman fighter, though, to watch that you probably forgot about as well, Tatiana Suarez. God. She's a beast. Oh, she has man. the boxing. She has the good submissions. She's very young in the game. Only seven fights, pro fights. But another woman to watch that I think could pose a good problem for uh, Rose. That's a tough fight for Rose. Um, it's like you said, she's got the boxing ability. Her ground game, she's she's good down there. Um, and, and one of the things with Rose is that Rose is well-rounded. But I think Tatiana Suarez has her in that aspect. So it's an interesting fight because then it comes down to if it stays on the feet, what happens? Does she... Somehow, some way, outstrike Rose, or does she end up getting beat? But look, like you said, number three in the world right now in the strawweight division, only seven and zero, and she's strutting her stuff. I mean, even looking at her stats, seventy-four percent striking, striking accuracy, eighty-two percent grappling accuracy. Look at these numbers right now: eighteen takedowns landed, twenty-two attempted. That's insane. Everybody, everybody she's fought, she's taken down very easily. And that goes to show you, she's in there to win. She's gonna dominate. She's gonna implement her game plan, and she's gonna she's gonna do what she's got to do. And we can't look past the fact that she beat Carla Esparza, former champ. Whether you look past Esparza or not, Esparza has beaten some tough fighters. Shouldn't, because remember what she did to Rose. Yep. Remember what she did to Rose. That that's that's one big thing that you have to look at. Carla Esparza's game, but Tatiana Suarez shut her down for three rounds. It was scary because Carla Esparza is an incredible wrestler. She's got good jiu-jitsu. But I think you saw that Tatiana Suarez was not only showing that she's on that level, but she was trying to make a statement and show that she's ready for that title shot. Um, I think after Rose gets out, hopefully she gets out alive against Andraj or at least dominates her, which I'm hoping for. I think that's a key matchup. I think Suarez has what it takes to beat Andraj. She's huge. I don't know if you've seen her, but the size Suarez, difference... she could probably move up. She could definitely move up, for sure. I mean, when you look at her fighting, like, Esparza, that was scary. Like, the, the size difference was insane. But that's a tough fight, like you said, for Rose. Um, Rose poses a threat to anybody when she's in what I call flow state. And that's real. When you saw her fight Michelle Watterson, flow state. Against Joanna twice, flow state. But Suarez is, is a tough fighter. And only having seven fights and being able to dominate somebody like like the likes of Esparza, that goes to show how good she really is. So, yeah. Dang. It's a good list so far. So, let's get into some predictions. The first thing we'll go into is title that you will guarantee change. So, DC says he's going to retire by the end, by March, or is it May? So, sometime... Be in the middle of the year so we're just gonna say that the heavyweight title will definitely change yes um 
Is there any other title that you think will change? Because me personally, I think the women's strawweight is a lot to change this year. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a shame because you've been talking Rose up a wall and you love her so much. But you know what? I think that title will change. Yeah. I mean, I can agree with you that there's there's going to be a bit of a shakeup in that division. Um, I think Rose has what it takes, but I won't be too biased. <laughs> yeah. But um, one big division that I know, you know, for that title to change hands will, is going to be the 185-pound division. I don't think Rob Whitaker has what it takes to beat Adesanya, and I don't think Paulo Costa has what it takes to beat Adesanya. I think he rolls through everybody. They just don't have it. The, the, his striking is too much. His size is too much. His IQ is on another level. He's And, I, and it sounds crazy to say it, but this dude is like... He, it's like he said, he's like the LeBron James of the MMA world. His <laughs> takedown defense is crazy. And even though, like, when you look at his earlier career, he fought guys who were legit judo champions, sambo champions, and he destroyed all of them. So what happens when he fights those guys? I think he beats everybody. Um, I know that I know that title will change hands for sure this year. So I'm going to look past your disrespect. <laughs> And I am going to say that the 185-pound title is going to change, but it's going to go back to the GOAT. Anderson Silva will beat Robert Whitaker for the title this year because he's going to walk through Israel Adesanya and straight to that title shot. Because Dana White did say that that is a title eliminator. That is a huge title eliminator. (laughs) It's crazy. It's one of the craziest ones. It was almost as crazy as Michael Bisming versus Dan Henderson, too. That was insane. I mean, well, I wouldn't say that because that was a title shot. But, man, when you look at fights like that, that just goes to show Dana's doing the right thing as far as what the fans want to see. That's Israel Adesanya's idol. But, man, Silva, old (laughs) Silva has put on some fights and they just haven't looked as good as when he was younger. He beat Derek Brunson. But then again... Everybody's beating Everybody's Derek beating Derek But I won't take the fact that Anderson Silva has a chance to beat Adesanya away because he still poses a threat. They are basically almost stylistically the same fighter. When you look at takedown defense, when you look at the kind of strikes they use, they're both very, very well-rounded as far as the striking game. Kicks, elbows, knees, punches. And, I mean, other than the fact that Anderson Silva's a black belt, this fight's basically a mirror match. But for me, it was like I said, Adesanya just has a crazy fight IQ. And I think looking at Anderson Silva at his age now, Anderson Silva is going to have to work way harder than a guy who's not even in his 30s yet. It's a tough fight for him. But if he pulls it off, he has to get a title shot. Because how could he not? Fighting Adesanya and beating him, a young guy like that, and I, and I do think that him against Robert Whitaker is a tough fight for Whitaker. Because, you know, we're talking about the GOAT here. And he always gives a tough challenge to everybody. Look at what he did when he fought DC at UFC 200. That was a tough fight. <laughs> DC got cracked, you know, a couple times. And it shows, like, Silva still has power. He can still be elite. But let's see what happens when he fights the young line in the division. <laughs> and and then our... Our last prediction. Talent. Now, this is a little different. We're going to go into other organizations. Talent that you'll like to see jump. Yep. Now, I'll go first. 
I want to see the Diaz brothers leave. I'm a Diaz fan, but I could watch them elsewhere. Yeah. Like, and actually watch them. Let them go somewhere that's going to pay them what they want. Mm-hmm. And let them be the draws. They're, they are draws. They fight hard. They're true martial artists. Just let them leave. Yes. I agree with you 100%. And I think that the only place that they will go where they will make the most money and be the most popular is back to Asia. I think that they should ink a deal together with one championship. Because when you're talking about guys that were never on steroids, guys that have always been true to being a martial artist in every way, shape, or form, you've got two guys like that, they will shake up Asia. They will shake up Asia in such a way, just the same way as Demetrius Johnson did, to have the Diaz brothers fight the best in their respective weight classes. That will be something to watch. You've got legit champions over there. And if Diaz can beat them, uh, Nick, and if Nate Diaz can beat the lightweight champ, I mean, you're, you're talking about real, legit OGs in the MMA world. And we'll I think finally, finally get to see Eddie Alvarez versus <laughs> Nate Diaz. Yes, that will be a good fight. See, those are the kind of fights that you make to bring more MMA fans. Because you know Eddie's going to bring it because he loves the win. He's, he, he, he's almost always the underdog. Mm-hmm. And he loves it. Like he says, I'm the underground king, and I'm ready to bring the most violent fights in everywhere that I go. And Nate Diaz is always up for a challenge. He's going to go in there ready to brawl with him for three to five rounds. And that's going to be an interesting fight. And Nick Diaz fighting, you know, the respective welterweight or middleweight champ. You know, the weight classes over there are a bit different. So, if you know, actually, if he wanted to fight at 170, he'd be pretty much fighting at lightweight. But, um, you know, it's going to be interesting if that happens. Another talent that I want to see jump, and it's going to sound crazy, I want to see Michael Chandler fight in the UFC. (laughs) And I think that they should not give him a crappy start like they did when Will Brooks went to the UFC from Bellator. I mean, you know, Will Brooks beat Michael John. I mean, Michael Chandler, excuse me. But gosh, I don't think anybody can beat Chandler right now. Not other than the likes of Tony Ferguson, maybe Conor McGregor, maybe Khabib. But Which are I all think fun fights. Amazing <laughs> fights. But I think that the toughest challenge for Khabib, other than Tony, I think it would be Michael Chandler. Michael Chandler recently was on um, Joe Rogan's podcast, and he said it himself. He says he's probably the best threat to Khabib. He's got an insane wrestling background. The dude wrestled at Missouri, and um, he was top in there. He was he was he was tip top shape. He was one of the strongest guys out there. Um, he brought it over and adapted to the MMA world, and um, now you see him. He's a well seasoned striker. He's got crazy power in both hands, and he has one of the most underrated takedown defense games ever. I mean, he he's around guys like Kamara Usman and Michael Johnson. And he's around those guys who are pushing him to the max all the time when he's out in Florida training. And you see it. He's elite. If you can stop the takedown of a guy like Kamara Usman, a title challenger, that goes to show how good you are. And I think this has to be the year where he makes the jump. Justin Gaethje did it. He's got to be the guy. Ben Askren did it. He has to do it. He has to finally be able to test himself. He's not getting any younger. And I think he's still in his prime. I mean, I watch this guy on Instagram all the time. Who the hell do you see doing backflips with a 20-pound medicine ball in his hand? Nobody. 
This dude is legit. I want to see him make that jump to the UFC. It's a bit. It's a big one for me. He, he's he. I'm one of his favorite. I, I'm I'm a big fan of his. I should say. Yeah, another Bellator fighter that should make the jump to the UFC is Michael Venom Page because he is a star. Yes. He has that Anderson Silva swagger to him, where you know he. He chills back, and I, I know people hate that, but I enjoy it. I enjoy the yeah. show, the entertainment. I'm good on that. What do you think about Michael Venom Page? He has, you know, you were talking earlier that he has a big challenge in front of him, or you were saying that he needs a big challenge in front yeah. of him. He does have Paul Daly coming up in February. Yep, yep. I think it's a tough fight um, for Daly just because of the size, but it will be entertaining. Mainly because Paul Daly is a seasoned striker. He's, he's a veteran in the sport. He's fought everywhere. Where hasn't where hasn't Paul Daly fought? So he knows what to expect of Michael Venom Page. He's seen what he did to Evangelista Cyborg. He, he's seen what, what like everything that has happened as far as Michael Venom Page's career. He said it. This is a long time coming. Um, but I don't even think that's the big challenge. The real big challenge is he gets through this tournament and fights the winner, the title, I mean, uh, the champion, which will most likely be Rory. Mm-hmm. Um if he gets to Roy McDonald, I think he has to ink a deal to UFC. But then again, we're talking about the Red King, mm-hmm. the Romac Gorilla. So either him or whether he fights Lima, he needs that fight for his career. And if he can get through those fights, I think that it's a, a legitimate enough fight for him to be able to say, I'm coming for you, UFC welterweight division. Or even the middleweight division. Or when they implement the new weight classes. It's a toss-up for him. I mean, this dude never lost weight from what I saw. I mean, he never missed weight. So, he's got a bright future ahead of him. But I think that it starts in the UFC. The real reign of Michael Menem Page. I mean, and, and I think that one fun fight... It might not happen in 2019. Because we don't know what's going to happen with this whole Bellator tournament. But I think a fun fight will be either him against Darren Till... Or him against Wonder Boy. Who will have the best karate style in the UFC at that time? It's just like the Gaethje versus Alvarez fight. Who's the real most violent fighter? And I think that would be the fight, the defining fight for Michael Venom Page to see. Is he the best karate fighter that ever came out? Aside from Leota Machida. Because he's, he's elite. He's the one of the best. Yeah. So, that concludes... The first episode of Your Boy Elroy MMA Edition. I'd like to thank the Matt Madness Podcast Network for hosting this. And a lot of big cards coming up soon. What do you say we do this again? Yeah, definitely, man. This is fun. And I think uh, this is going to be a big year for MMA. All right, cool. Thanks again for joining me, Andre. And we'll catch you guys next time.